Hello and welcome back to the Rewatch Rewind. My name is Jane and this is the podcast where I count down my top 40 most frequently rewatched movies of the last 20 years. And today, I will be discussing number 13 on my list, Shipwrecked Comedy and American Black Market's 2016 mystery comedy Edgar Allan Poe's Murder Mystery Dinner Party, directed by William J. Stribling, written by Sean Persaud and Sinead Persaud, starring Sean Persaud, Sinead Persaud, Mary-Kate Wiles, Sarah Grace Hart, Joey Richter, Lauren Lopez, Ashley Clements, Tom DeTrinis, Blake Silver, and a whole bunch of other incredibly talented and underrated actors. Edgar Allan Poe, Sean Persaud, wishes to impress the beautiful Annabelle Lee, Mary-Kate Wiles, so he enlists the help of his ghost roommate Lenore, Sinead Persaud, to throw a murder mystery party for Annabelle and a group of famous authors. But then guests start actually being murdered. So, first of all, I realize that this isn't technically a movie. It's an 11-episode web series available to watch for free on YouTube, which you should absolutely pause this podcast to do if you haven't seen it yet. Link in the show notes. But there is a feature cut that's about an hour and 45 minutes long, and that's what I counted as a movie. If I'd kept track of the number of times I watched each episode, I'm sure that even my least watched episode would easily beat number one on this list. But as for the feature cut, I watched it 12 times in 2017, 3 times in 2018, 4 times in 2019, twice in 2020, and 3 times in 2021. To a certain extent, every movie on the Rewatch Rewind has changed my life in some way, but this one has changed my life to a degree that I would never have believed possible. Every single day of the last seven-plus years of my life would have looked different if not for Edgar Allan Poe's murder mystery dinner party. All of the guests I've had on this podcast who are not my siblings, I met either directly or indirectly because of this show. So fasten your seatbelts. This episode is going to be a ride. My journey to Edgar Allan Poe's Murder Mystery Dinner Party, or Poe Party for short, or Edgar Allan Poe's Murder Mystery Invite-Only Casual Dinner Party slash Gala for Friends Potluck for Long, began years before the project itself was even written. In the late 2000s to early 2010s, my sister was relatively plugged into the YouTube scene, at least compared to me, and she first introduced me to a group called Team Star Kid around 2009-2010-ish. At the time, they were a bunch of college theater kids who had put together a Harry Potter parody musical and, on a whim, posted it to YouTube, where it went viral, so they started making and posting other musicals, which they are still doing. I feel like I might still have discovered Poe Party if I hadn't been a Star Kid fan, but that definitely helped. A more crucial step on my road to Poe Party started on April 9th, 2012, when my sister posted a link to a new YouTube video on my Facebook wall, with the message, Fictional Vlogs by Lizzie Bennett, actually Hank Green. There's only one so far, but I'm kind of crazily excited for this. Hank Green, of course, along with his brother John, is basically one of the fathers of YouTube. I don't think I'd seen a ton of their videos at that point, but I was familiar with and liked them. And of course, I knew Lizzie Bennett was the main character in Pride and Prejudice, a story that I loved very much. More on that in a future episode. So I was also very excited for this new show called The Lizzie Bennet Diaries, but I could not have imagined the intense emotional journey it would take me on through two short episodes a week plus spinoffs for almost a year. There had never been a TV show that I was more invested in than LBD. I was double majoring in college and working part-time, but the main thing I cared about was these modern Pride and Prejudice characters. The show was clearly very low budget, but I was blown away by the writing and acting. 
I was particularly impressed by the person playing Lizzie, Ashley Clements, and the person playing Lydia, Mary-Kate Wiles. And, like, it wasn't just me. LBD had a huge following for what it was. Not, like, millions of fans, but hundreds of thousands by the end. As the finale approached, the producers launched a Kickstarter to release the show on DVD and, ostensibly, pay significantly more to the cast and crew who had been incredibly underpaid. If you're at all interested in hearing more about that, I highly recommend checking out the Look Back Diaries on Ashley Clements' YouTube channel. She just did a whole deep dive into the show and its aftermath in honor of its 10th anniversary that I found fascinating. But anyway, coincidentally, right around that same time, Stark had also launched their first Kickstarter since most of them had graduated from college and no longer had access to the same resources but wanted to keep making more musicals. So they were raising money for Twisted, a Wicked-style villain redemption retelling of Aladdin, which sounded interesting. I had never pledged to a Kickstarter before, but I backed both the LBD DVDs and Twisted on the same day, March 25th, 2013, according to my emails. After that, I kept following Starkid and some of the cast members of LBD, but not particularly closely. In early 2014, Mary-Kate Wiles was in a web series called Kissing in the Rain that I think I watched part of at the time, and I thought it was fine, but I wasn't particularly into it. Imagine, me, an aromantic, not particularly into a show about kissing. And there was a lot of other stuff going on in my life, so I honestly can't remember if I saw all of it when it was first coming out. I definitely couldn't have told you that it was on a channel called Shipwrecked, or even the name of the actor she was kissing. But in May of 2014, a new Kickstarter launched for a series called Muzzled the Musical, which was going to feature several cast members from LBD, as well as Joey Richter from Team Starkit. Lauren Lopez also ended up being in it, but I don't think that was known during the Kickstarter. And I thought, whoa, cool, worlds colliding, and backed it. And promptly all but forgot about it. A lot of strange, confusing, and rather upsetting things happened in 2015 that I don't really want to get too deep into here, but I will say that in hindsight, most of them had to do with a combination of amatonormativity and heteronormativity, and I started feeling pretty bad about myself. Before then, I had managed to convince myself that I was too young to seriously fall in love anyway, but suddenly I was 25 years old and had never had any interest in dating anyone, and I felt like there was definitely something wrong with me. I didn't exactly want to change since I liked not dating, but I had always thought that that would just automatically change when I got older, and facing the fact that it wasn't changing meant facing the fact that I didn't know what the point of my life was. I liked my job, but I didn't want it to be my sole purpose. I loved movies, but that didn't feel like it mattered. All my life, I had taken in the message that finding a spouse and creating a family was what made the struggle of life worth it, and I felt lazy for not even trying to pursue that. I remember hearing at some point in my late teens that if you didn't find your significant other in college, you needed to look online, but I didn't even know what I would be looking for. And I truly don't know where this line of thinking would have ended up if it had gone on much longer uninterrupted. I may have discovered my identity a bit sooner, or I may have ended up hurting someone by trying to pursue a relationship I ultimately didn't want, or I may have just continued to spiral. But what actually happened was, I got an email in late October that that random fantasy musical series I had backed on Kickstarter a year and a half earlier was being released on YouTube. So I watched Muzzled, and it was very fun and silly, but the main thing I got out of it was, man, I miss the Lizzie Bennet Diaries. So I finally opened that DVD set I'd gotten from the Kickstarter, and I binge-watched the whole show. I didn't count it as a movie because there's no feature cut, and also it is very long. And then I rewatched the whole thing with the DVD exclusive commentary. 
And then I thought, I wonder what this cast has been up to lately, so I started searching for them on YouTube. And that's when I learned that Mary-Kate Wiles had been posting two videos per week on her channel for years, and I had been missing it. As I got caught up on her videos, I learned that I had just missed a Kickstarter for a musical she was going to be in called Spies Are Forever, made by the Tin Can Brothers, which were a group of people who were also involved with Starkid, and that she seemed to be getting ready for a new Kickstarter with a group called Shipwrecked Comedy, the same people who had made that kissing show. They had also made a show called A Telltale Vlog about Edgar Allan Poe and the Valley Girl ghost Lenore who was haunting him, in which Poe had been played by Sean Prasad, the guy from Kissing in the Rain, who was apparently dating Mary-Kate in real life, and his sister Sinead, who was in the second half of Kissing in the Rain, which I definitely hadn't watched before. Mary-Kate had made a brief appearance in A Telltale Vlog as Annabelle Lee, and this new show was going to be related to that, but bigger. I was so intrigued by this new project that I started supporting Mary-Kate on Patreon to ensure that I didn't miss any updates about it. The Poe Party Kickstarter launched on February 2nd, 2016. By then, I had watched and enjoyed everything on Shipwreck's YouTube channel, but that Kickstarter video was my favorite thing they had made. I initially pledged the same amount that I had given to the Lizzie Bennet DVDs, thinking that would be my final pledge, but I ended up giving almost six times that much by the end of the campaign. Every $5,000 they raised, they revealed a new character and cast member with a poster, and each reveal made me more excited. Joey Richter was playing Ernest Hemingway, Ashley Clements was playing Charlotte Bronte, Lauren Lopez, who frequently played male characters, was playing George Elliott, a woman with a male pen name. They got Jim O'Hare from Parks and Rec. And then, as if the reveals weren't enough, they had weekly four-hour live streams that I found incredibly entertaining. It had become clear that Shipwrecked Comedy now consisted of four people, Sean, Sinead, Mary-Kate, and Sarah Grace Hart, who had played Emily Dickinson in a standalone video and would be reprising that role in Poe Party. Various other cast members showed up in the streams with the core four, and I distinctly remember thinking, if these people are this entertaining to watch when they're just hanging out, this show is going to be so amazing. In the second livestream of the campaign, they started writing people's names on papers to stick on the wall if they pledged or raised their pledge during the streams, which was an excellent incentive. But I would have kept raising mine anyway because I was desperate for this show to get made. Apart from a few weird troll messages, the stream chat was full of lovely conversations between people who seemed like my kindred spirits. I had never felt more at home in a community, and I had never been more excited than when the Kickstarter exceeded its goal. And I'm telling you all of this because I need you to understand how astronomically high my hopes and expectations for Poe Party were. Some of the movies I've talked about so far ended up in my top 40 partly because I had fairly low expectations going into them and was pleasantly surprised, but that was absolutely not the case here. I had seen excellent work from several of the people involved before, and they seemed particularly dedicated to this project, and I knew they were going to make something incredible. I also desperately needed something in my life to go really well, and this seemed like it might be it, although I knew it wasn't fair to put that kind of pressure on these independent filmmakers. I tried to temper my expectations, reminding myself that they had only raised a little over $72,000, and Kickstarter was going to take a chunk of that, and some of it had to go to perk fulfillment, so they weren't going to have nearly enough to make anything super fancy. They released some prologue videos that were very fun, but also very small, and I tried to tell myself that the actual show was also going to be small. And I kept reminding myself how long Muzzled had taken to come out, and that I was probably going to have to wait a while for Poe Party 2, so I needed to chill. But then in late July, only four and a half months after the Kickstarter had ended, Shipwreck released a trailer for Poe Party, which said it was starting in less than a month, 
and there was no tempering my expectations after that. The trailer looked fabulous. It was witty and clever and dramatic and intriguing, the music was perfection, and shockingly, it looked like an actual studio movie. Not like a super high-budget one, but like they had at least a million dollars, certainly way more than 60,000. My already ridiculously high expectations soared to new heights. Part of me was sure I was setting myself up for disappointment, but I couldn't help it. And then it was August 22nd, and the first episode, chapter one, The Bells, dropped, and it was so much better than I was hoping for. First of all, the look set the tone perfectly. The lighting was exquisite, and the location, incidentally the same house where Muzzled was filmed, was perfect. And then there was the writing. One thing the Prasads had mentioned during the Kickstarter was that they were inspired by the movie Clue, which will be featured in a future episode of this podcast, so I was expecting similar vibes to that, but I was not expecting there to be so many direct references to Clue. All of them made me extremely happy. It felt like the show was made specifically for me. It was like Clue, but even better. I already loved every single character and knew I would be sad to see some of them get murdered. It was also very clear from even just that first episode that this was going to fall into the everybody was having way too much fun category of film that I love. But while most movies like that tend to have pretty weak stories and just overall mediocre scripts and the cast having fun makes up for that, Poe Party was different. The writing was fantastic and the acting was perfect and it looked gorgeous and everybody was having fun. Again, I tried not to have unrealistic expectations. I tried to tell myself that not every episode could be quite the banger that the first one was, but I was still incredibly excited for the rest of the show. And I was not at all disappointed. Somehow, it just kept getting better. The running joke about everyone forgetting Emily Dickinson was there or who she was just kept getting funnier. Ditto the joke about George Eliot thinking she needed to convince everyone she was a man when everyone was clearly fine with her being a woman. I remember at one point, when around three or four chapters were out, Mary-Kate tweeted that they were working on editing her favorite part of the show, and I thought, surely it doesn't get better than what I've seen already. But it turned out she was talking about chapter eight, and yes, it absolutely was better. The constables, Jim and Jimmy, played by Jim O'Hare and Jimmy Wong, and everyone else trying to fool them, are so delightful to watch. Even though Chapter 8 features probably the second saddest death in the series, it's overall the funniest episode. This show touches an incredibly wide range of emotions and moods, especially considering it takes place in one house over one night. I want to make it clear that I would still love Poe Party even if I'd stumbled upon it years after it came out, and even if I didn't recognize any of the actors. The show is excellent enough to stand on its own. But being part of it from the Kickstarter, being familiar with some of the actors, and being online as it was coming out certainly enhanced my enjoyment of it. Shipwrecked had a weekly competition of sorts where they would give a vague prompt and people would make fan art or write fan fiction and post it on social media, hashtag PoePartyFTW, and each of the four members of Shipwrecked would pick their favorite to repost. I wrote a fic after each of the episodes, and several of them got chosen by Shipwrecked, and I hadn't felt that good about myself in years. I loved the show so much that I couldn't confine it just into weekly fics. I was shouting about it on every social media platform. I also started writing weekly speculation Tumblr posts, using clue references as my guide, many of which led me astray. I was convinced there must be a secret passage between the kitchen and the study that didn't turn out to exist. 
but I did figure out part of the solution relatively early on. While the mystery aspect of Clue is ultimately nonsense if you think about it too hard, Poe Party actually tracks. And if you've listened this far and you still haven't seen Poe Party, please go watch it now because I'm going to start getting into story specifics and spoilers and I think everybody should get to see it once without knowing what's coming. I'm also going to spoil some of Clue so you can go watch that too if you want, although I don't feel like Clue spoilers matter that much. In her episode of A Telltale Vlog, Annabelle mentioned that she had started seeing a banker named Eddie, and then in the Poe Party Kickstarter video, she asked Edgar if she could bring Eddie as her plus one to his party. So Eddie, played by Ryan W. Garcia, shows up late to the party with Annabelle, and then becomes the first murder victim. Except, spoiler alert, he's actually not dead and is in fact one of the murderers. And from the very first episode, I recognized Eddie's similarities to Mr. Body and Clue, who is also not dead when you first think he is, and I was therefore suspicious of him from the get-go. But I was still very much open to any possibility, or so I thought, because the Prasads had done an excellent job of making everyone at least somewhat fishy. But there was one thing I was not prepared for, and that was the end of Chapter 9 because it absolutely never occurred to me that Poe's beautiful Annabelle Lee would die, and I'm honestly still kind of devastated about it, even understanding why it had to happen, and at the time I was almost inconsolable. Mary-Kate Wiles had led me to this brilliant show in which she played the kindest, most likable character, only to be brutally murdered? Some fans at the time had thought Annabelle might be the killer, which I never did, and honestly, I would have been kind of angry if she had been, because we need to have more genuinely nice characters and things. I was upset that she died, but I would have been more so if she turned evil. Not that I have anything against MK playing villains. I'm all for it under the right circumstances, and thankfully the Prasads know when the right circumstances are. And like, okay, I know I complain about too much romance in stories, but Annabelle's It Was Always You as she died in Edgar's arms, that got me. Annabelle had been planning to marry Eddie because he was more respectable than the unhinged poet she actually loved, and I think that that whole trying to fake the life you think you're supposed to have thing spoke to me. I had been so tempted to try that, and this was almost as clear of a message as the constables don't do murder. Don't fake romance. At that point, I was pretty much convinced that Eddie must have had something to do with this. Why would anyone else kill Annabelle? Also, Chapter 9 reveals that Annabelle wrote the invite list, and I thought it made sense that Eddie, her boyfriend, could have told her whom to include, especially since it had already been established that most of the guests had some connection to Eddie. The prompt for that week's Poe Party FTW competition was Confession, so I decided to try something different from the short stories I'd been submitting, and I rewrote the poem Annabelle Lee from Eddie's perspective as if he was the murderer. And I know this episode is already longer than most of my solo episodes, and I have a lot more to say, but I'm still proud of this poem, even though it's not completely accurate since it turned out that Eddie didn't kill everybody, so I need to share it with you. It was many and many a month ago, in her cottage by the sea, that I first read the words that Edgar wrote, for my girlfriend, Annabelle Lee. And he said that she lived with no other thought than to love and be loved by he. He's just my friend and I'm just his friend, she quickly explained to me. But we loved with a love which was worse than love, I and my Annabelle Lee. With a love that was founded on secrets and lies, fueled by jealousy. And this was the reason that, later on, faced with opportunity, I took advantage of an offer made to innocent Annabelle Lee. 
for when Lenore asked whom to invite to that cad's dinner party, Annabelle deferred to my input, which I gave most willingly. All authors not half so worthy as bankers who had air quarreled with me. Yes, they were the ones, no one would know, I'd met them all secretly, that Edgar would invite to his house that night at the behest of his Annabel Lee. For our love, it was weaker by far than the love of vengeance I carried in me, of justice toward those who'd wronged me. And neither the psychics who bring back the dead, nor the cops fresh from academy, can hinder my murderous plan. No one can. No, not even my Annabel Lee. As I watch them point fingers, I find my gaze lingers on the beautiful Annabel Lee. When they mention invites, she suspects, knows she's right. Out the door runs my Annabel Lee. Can't let her get away. Who knows what she might say. So I kill her. I kill her. My eleventh kill today. Instead of revealing me, her last breath says, it was always he. So yeah, I was deep into this. But then nobody in Shipwreck chose it that week, and I thought, okay, maybe it wasn't that good, or maybe my theory is laughably far off the mark. Maybe Eddie's too obvious. Maybe he really is dead. Then in Chapter 10, Charlotte Bronte confessed and revealed that her sister Anne had been there the whole time helping, and at that point, I was pretty sure Eddie was also involved again. We clearly saw that Annabelle's killer was wearing pants, unlike either Bronte sister. And then it was Halloween, and the finale finally arrived, and I was right about Eddie, but I was still completely unprepared for how awesome that final chapter would be. I think there was still a small part of me that didn't believe it was possible for the end to live up to the build-up of the first ten incredible chapters, but it absolutely did. The finale was everything, everything, I say, that I wanted it to be, and much more. The evil slow clap, the revolving villain trio of creepy neck touching, the flashbacks, the fights, the pet rock's revenge, the literary references, and, of course, the surprise reveal of Jane Austen, played by Laura Spencer, who had also played Jane Bennett in the Lizzie Bennett Diaries. The episodes were posted at 9am on Mondays, when I was at work, so I couldn't watch them right when they dropped, but after the first one, I couldn't wait until I got home either. My work's Wi-Fi blocked YouTube, and I had an extremely limited data plan at the time, so on my lunch break, I would walk to the McDonald's down the street and watch the new episode using their Wi-Fi. And when the camera panned to Jane Austen, it was all I could do not to yell, Oh my gosh, it's Laura Spencer! in that McDonald's. I definitely audibly gasped, but I don't think anyone noticed. The thing is, I would have still been blown away by the finale without that extra surprise, but that's what Shipwreck does. They make things that can appeal to a wide audience, and then they sprinkle in some extra treats for people who have been following them for a while. Of course, LBD was not a shipwrecked project, but finding shipwreck through LBD is a fairly common path. And I'm still so impressed with how well they kept Laura as Jane Austen a secret. As a Kickstarter perk, I'd had a video chat with the Core Four that summer, and I'd mentioned that Jane Austen was my favorite author, and I was disappointed that she wasn't going to be in Poe Party, and they were just like, yeah, we thought about including her, but we figured she would be too similar to Charlotte Bronte, and betrayed not a single hint that she was, in fact, in the show. Which is another thing Shipwreck does, make a very specific, deliberate plan about what to reveal when, and stick to it. As another example of that, the Poe Party Kickstarter had reached a stretch goal to produce an epilogue. I had completely forgotten about that, but other backers remembered and started asking about it after the finale. 
Shipwrecked was pretty cagey with their answers, but then directed us to a mysterious Twitter account that was dropping strange clues. I watched as the Shipwrecked fan Facebook group decoded them and ultimately unlocked the epilogue a day before it was released publicly. The epilogue is not included in the feature cut, and now I don't really think of it as part of the show. Chapter 11 ends so perfectly. Poe stares at the floor as the heartbeat grows louder. A floorboard creaks, fade to black. Chef's kiss. But at the time, I was feeling so many overwhelming feels about this show that I desperately needed that epilogue. I was so utterly relieved to see Annabelle and HG thriving as ghosts. And I was so thrilled to be surrounded by such a great fandom who all worked together and helped each other to solve the puzzles. It was a beautiful weekend. And it was also the last weekend before Donald Trump was elected president of the United States and I had to face the fact that the country was more broken and divided than I'd wanted to believe, which definitely adds to my nostalgia for that epilogue adventure. The show may have ended and the world may have been falling apart faster than usual, but I could not have gotten Poe Party out of my head even if I'd wanted to, which I didn't. For over a decade, I'd been searching for something that felt like a classic movie but with some modern sensibilities, and these independent filmmakers had made exactly what I was looking for, zillions of times better than I'd imagined it. That clever, witty dialogue perfectly delivered by quirky characters almost felt like it came from a 1930s screwball comedy. But it also felt fresh and new and different from anything I'd seen before. It had so many similarities to Clue. In fact, I taught myself how to make GIFs, or GIFs, in order to highlight specific parallels between Poe Party and Clue, and yet remained unique. Where Clue was mostly just comedy, Poe Party was comedy, tragedy, romance, and intrigue, and absolutely nailed all of those. Sadly, no Ravens, though. They didn't have the budget for that. Anyway, the series held up shockingly well upon rewatch, and I could not get enough of it. And despite the socially anxious part of my brain that remains convinced that everyone always is annoyed with me, that I have nothing worthwhile to say, that I should just shut up and stop bothering others with my existence, people seemed to like what I was posting about Poe Party. Other fans would engage me in conversation, and I started making internet friends for the first time. And, shockingly, the members of Shipwrecked seemed to genuinely appreciate what I was saying as well. After the finale had aired, Mary-Kate reblogged my Annabelle Lee poem on Tumblr and said, I legitimately thought this was brilliant and only didn't choose it that week because of spoilers. Every single fic Jane wrote for this FTW has been wonderful, and I have so enjoyed them all, but this was above and beyond. And maybe it sounds like I'm just boasting at this point, but the reason I'm sharing this is because a year earlier I had felt like a failure of a human who had no place in the world, and now this incredible actress-slash-producer I greatly admired who had just made my new favorite show was saying that I had enhanced her experience of releasing it. People were liking and appreciating me just for being myself and enthusiastically enjoying a movie and I no longer felt like I was supposed to change who I was. In early 2017, I got the rest of my Kickstarter perks, including behind-the-scenes goodies that featured not one, but two fabulous commentaries. I love them both, but the second one is particularly chaotic in the best way. Ashley Clements and Ryan W. Garcia, true to the villainous characters they played in the show, keep derailing the conversation, and it's incredibly amusing. The commentaries are over the feature cut, so many, if not most, of the views that I counted were with one of the commentaries. 
and I also bought the feature cut without commentary so I could show it to other people and still count it on my list. Now I tend to watch it episodically because I want the Shipwrecked YouTube channel to get more views for the algorithm, although I'm not sure that actually helps. But anyway, the feature cut and commentaries and other bonus features are still available to rent or buy on shipwreck.vhx.tv, which I will also link in the show notes if you're interested. Also in 2017, the first episode of Poe Party was shown at a festival near me, so I got to meet the core four members of Shipwrecked and some fans in person. That was very exciting, but I was also extremely nervous, although I didn't need to be. The Shipwreck people were so lovely and actually wanted to talk to me and the other fans who were there. And then I got to see Poe Party win some awards, which was awesome. And then a few months later, Shipwreck launched another Kickstarter, and I pledged even more to it than I had to Poe Party, even though the goal was lower. And then they kept making more stuff, and I kept supporting it, and also continued to love everything they made. Yes, even the fart feud with the Tin Can Brothers. I continued to support Mary-Kate on Patreon, and I also started supporting other cast members on Patreon, like Whitney Avalon, who had played Mary Shelley and does a lot of her own stuff on YouTube, and of course, Ashley Clements, as I've mentioned previously. And as soon as Shipwrecked finally got their own Patreon, I was all in at the top tier. And like, I don't want to go on about this too much, because I do truly believe that I would love their work even if I'd never interacted with them, but I don't know that I'd be quite the die-hard, take-all-my-money-to-make-more-things Shipwrecked fan that I am if I hadn't had so many wonderful interactions with the members of Shipwrecked over the years. I didn't set out to become friends with them, but I kind of have, although I still feel a little weird and presumptuous to claim that. I feel like this will sound to some people like an out-of-control parasocial relationship, but, like, it's not that, because they do know me. Other people in my life have referred to Shipwrecked as the people you pay to be your friends, but it's not that either. I give them money so they can keep making things, and we also happen to hit it off as friends, which, again, feels like a presumptuous label, but I can't come up with a more accurate word. They make what they love, and I love what they make, so it's not that surprising that we'd get along. And for similar reasons, it's not surprising that I've made so many very close friendships with other Shipwrecked fans. Our love for these projects brought us together, and then turned out to be far from the only thing we have in common. I feel like I'm talking way too much about my own personal experiences. I'm so sorry if this is boring. Back to Poe Party itself. I've hinted at it already, but I need to emphasize again both how incredible the script is and how amazingly the cast brought it to life. The story was so well thought out. Every scene, every character, every moment was there for a reason. Like, I thought George Eliot disguising herself as a man was just a nod to female authors having to use male pen names, but then that turned into an important clue that led to the Brontes. Yes, you can poke plenty of holes in Poe Party if you want to. Not all of the characters based on real people were actually alive at the same time. Some of the technology is anachronistic, etc. But none of that stuff really matters. It's clearly meant to be silly and fun, so you don't really need to know what year it is. But the fact that they managed to write something silly and fun that didn't completely devolve into absolute nonsense is so incredibly impressive. Sean and Sinead wrote an absolutely brilliant script, and then they assembled the perfect cast for it. Every actor is on the exact same page about what this project is, and they each know exactly how their character fits in. Even when they're in the background, everyone is giving 100%. I want to especially shout out Joey Richter, since Ernest Hemingway is drinking all night, and Joey did a tremendous job of tracking how drunk he was supposed to be. By the finale, he's having to slap himself to stay awake in the background, and it's hilarious. 
Everyone else is also a delight to watch, and I feel like I'm still noticing little background moments I hadn't clocked before. There aren't very many close-ups, which I think was mainly because they didn't have the budget for the time it would take to shoot them, but it works perfectly because a lot of the funny moments become even funnier when you can see multiple characters' reactions at once. If you're watching the background acting closely enough, you may notice a few instances of people almost breaking, but personally I just choose to interpret that as the characters finding it difficult to keep it together when other characters around them are being silly, and who can blame them? I appreciate that the writers and director trusted the cast enough to let them play around and improvise, because some great ad-lib lines ended up in the final cut, and many more went into the best blooper reel ever, which is 24 minutes long and I love every second of it. There are some moments from the bloopers that I find myself saying sometimes when I'm watching the actual show. Ashley's, don't be mean to me, is probably the one I quote the most. There is definitely romance in Poe Party. The whole reason for the party is because Edgar is in love with Annabelle. Lenore and H.G. Wells develop feelings for each other over the course of the evening, until he dies, and several other characters flirt with each other. But none of the romances end well, and throughout the story, there's a lot of emphasis on friendship and acquaintanceship and other types of relationship. And that's a running theme in most of Shipwreck's projects. There hasn't been a kiss in any of them since Kissing in the Rain. Of course, much of the Poe Party fandom was, and is, into shipping characters with each other. For any listeners who may not be terminally online, shipping characters means that you want them to be in a romantic relationship with each other. I joined in somewhat, mostly because I felt like I was supposed to, but I couldn't have articulated that at the time. And, as I mentioned earlier, I was particularly fascinated by the Eddie-Annabelle dynamic, but I was only able to fully comprehend how much I needed the don't-fake-romance message in hindsight. This show and its fandom made me feel less alone and adrift, but I still didn't figure out I was Aeroace for a few more years. Although it was friends I made in the Shipwrecked fan community who first really helped me understand and accept that part of my identity, so I can still say that Poe Party was an important step on that journey. I want to say so much more about this utterly brilliant show. I don't feel like I've even come close to doing it justice here, but there truly are no words to adequately express my love for it. It still holds up nearly seven years later, but Shipwrecked has come a long way since then. When their most recent web series, Headless A Sleepy Hollow Story, was about to come out, they said it made Poe Party look like it had been done by a bunch of kindergartners, and I was upset at the Poe Party slander, but once I watched that series, I understood what they meant. Headless is so far above and beyond, but unfortunately it came out too recently to make it into my top 40. Currently, they're releasing an audio narrative called The Case of the Greater Gatsby, which should be on the same platform you're listening to this on. That is a sequel to their short film, The Case of the Gilded Lily, which I will be discussing in a future episode. I really hope that someday Shipwreck gets the level of recognition they deserve. Their fandom is still relatively small, although we are mighty and devoted. At the very least, I hope that the current strikes will help enable them to make a living from writing and acting. Thank you for listening to me discuss another of my most frequently rewatched movies, or at least attempt to. Following this will be a two-way tie of movies I watched 25 times, both of which feature Cary Grant, my favorite leading man apart from Sean Persaud. As always, I will leave you with a quote from that next movie. Hi. Mellow greetings, Yuki Dookie.